Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. All the scripture verses were read already, and I was, I was glad for that. Um, I'm an impromptu type guy, so uh, guys, always, always be prepared for come up here and read scripture if I need you. Uh, so I'd like you to just turn back to Psalm 44, just have your finger there, and then over, obviously, to 1 Corinthians 15, to have your finger there. That's where the main gist of our message is going to be. Um, this, obviously, is a time uh, where we finish up our family month. Uh, I am really excited about uh, what we have accomplished in this past I lost my notes here. Where'd they go? Uh, this past uh, uh, month, I mean, I was t- I've taught parents, grandparents, children about children, all those things, and I'm, I'm glad about them all, that we were able to talk uh, together about them. Uh, I do, do have books that I've written on parenting, and I've had I've re- books on marriage um, and on prayer and stuff like that, and so I'm going to try to get some of those reprinted. I do have a few. I, I took them out of here because nobody took them already. So I just figured nobody really was interested in them. But I did have books up here about uh, parenting and, and um, um, I, that I took back in my office. If you're interested, I'll, I'll, give, I'll get one of them for you. Just to, when you're old like I am, and I'm not that old, but I'm old enough to gain a lot of experience uh, through the years and, uh, and when it comes to family matters. And so today, I, I just could not help it go down this direction um, by the way, Hal, thank you for the cough drop. I am uh, able to uh, <clears throat> speak much better, much easier right now than, than I thought I was going to be able to do. Um, and remember, there's a meal to follow, too. I make sure everybody knows that. I, I think he said that. So but anyway, so I'm trying to remember all these things. But one of the things this past week and running to Rochester and being in the, uh, beside the um, bed of one of my best friends and and uh, being with family and praying and weeping and doing everything that goes along with uh, tragedies like that. I, uh, I kept, the one thing that kept coming back to me was about he is our king. The Lord is our king, and we forget that. It's the Lord of Lord and king of kings. And uh, I, I knew I was going to preach this message anyways, but I just thought, especially the first one that Caleb read there, um, I, I read that to him, that he's our, that he's our king. And uh, he was a military man. Menzo was a um, um, Marine Corps. And um, even the toughest of them go down sometimes through sickness like he got. And he had a massive, obviously, heart attack. And uh, if it wasn't for the airport, uh, the local airport being only three minutes away from his daughter's house, he would not be here today. Uh, so they got him there quickly. And it was just by the grace and mercy of God that he allowed him to live. He doesn't always allow everybody to live. Uh, but I know, I know that if he would allow this man to live, right, and he would take that ownership of his king and he'd be out there proclaiming about him. And he will, I know that, as he comes out of this thing and hopefully he makes it all the way out. But the author of Psalm here, in Psalm 44, um, is unclear, but it appears to have been a, another um, psalm concerning captivity. 
So uh, like Babylon or those days. So therefore the psalm is very well, could have been written by Ezra. It could have been written by Nehemiah. It could have been written by Daniel. I mean, any of those. So the psalmist rehearses God's past, his past goodness to Israel in verses 1 through 3. Then, he, then their present faith in verses 4 through 8. This is a common outline, by the way, in Psalms, in, in, the, in the Psalms of the Bible. Then his complaint of their present state in verses 9 through 16. Then the faithfulness by a few of the people in verses 17 through 22. And then, in, in, in request for God to intervene, obviously, in verses 23 through 26. Now, I just want to preface this with this. This is not a happy psalm. This is not a rejoicing psalm. Uh, the writer is very sorrowful, and he was remembering the good old days. And talking about family today, I can remember the good, what I call the good old days. Um, um, when I would leave in the morning... And on my bike and head across town at 8 o'clock and then head into the woods with friends and play soldiers and do all these things. And nobody's concerned about anything. And then all my mom was concerned about is I'd get back home for, for supper. That's it. If you're not for supper, I'm coming after you, you know. And we'd be gone all day that way. Our doors are never locked. Anybody here not ever locked your doors? Boy, I'm telling you, never lock, you never lock your doors. In fact, even leave the screens, uh, doors open with the screens sometimes. Uh, local people like the milk delivery. How many of you had milk delivery, right? They just come and they just open the door and go in the house, sit in the kitchen and leave. It was nothing. All those things were happening back and I think about the good old days. But, I, but I'm thinking about the psalmist here and he says this, we have heard with our ears, oh God, our fathers have told us Right? The work thou didst in their days and in the times of old. How thou didst drive out the heathen with thy hand and plantest them. How thou didst afflict the people and cast them out. For they got not the land in possession by their own sword, neither by, did their own arms save them, but thy right hand, thine arm, the light of thy countenance, because of thou hast favor on them. Now here's what's happening right here. The feeling is this. God, you had favor unto them, and we have heard about it, but you have yet to show favor on us. And I think it's an easy, easy to get in that entrapment of thinking, even today in this world that we live in, this America, is that, boy, you did masterful things with nations that were in trouble like we were in right now, but we're not seeing any favor from it right now. Now, that's not true, obviously, but it's easy to fall into that trap. So how many of you are familiar with the daisy prayer? If you're familiar with the daisy, I call it the daisy prayer. You wouldn't be familiar with it. Uh, just turn over quickly to uh, Deuteronomy uh, 13. Just keep your fingers uh, there uh, where you were. and Just go to Deut Deuteronomy 13, verse 3. I think I said this morning, Deuteronomy 13, verse 13, but it's verse 3. And God says something, and it made me think of, I, I wrote in my Bible, well, it's a daisy, it's a daisy thing. It says, for thou shalt, not, uh, thou shalt not hearken unto the words, right, of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, right? So God has a way of proving us to see if we love him. And sometimes we live our lives like a daisy, now, if you remember correctly as kids, that's one of the old things I remember. You'd take that daisy and you'd say, 
Uh, we'll say if it was a girl down the street. She loves me. She loves me not. Right? She loves me, or he loves me. He loves me not. And you pick it off, and it, hopefully it gets that where he loves you at the end, or she loves you at the end, right? I think, I think a lot of times that's the way we live our lives. We base it on whether we think God is doing something for us or not doing something for us. If he's doing something good, we say he loves me. And then all of a sudden he allows something to come bad our way, like happened to Menzel. Oh, he does loves me not, right? When it's not true, but I think that's what the heart does. It just goes there. It goes in that area. But we forget that he is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He knows exactly what needs to be done and, and how it should be done and, and to bring him the most glory and to do the most good for us. So they had heard of God's miraculous deliverance of Israel from Egypt and at the crossing of the Red Sea. They had heard how God had driven out the heathen, right, from the, uh, before them as recorded in Joshua and Judges. And, and the psalm writer here, he acknowledges that, right, how that the possession of the land was not by their strength. No, it wasn't. But it was only by God's power. And he proclaims, Thou art my king, O God. It's amazing, right, that he just proclaims that and command deliverance and deliverance. And he commands deliverance from, for Jacob. So thou art my king, O God. I mean, that's the way I look at life right now is that you're just the king. I, I don't really have any say in any of it. That I wish I could uh, go into the president's office right now and grab a hold of Biden by the neck, really. Yeah, and just say to him, you know, you're running this nation right into the ground. That's what I want to do, you know. But I have to remember that, no, thou art my king. He's not my king. Right? He's allowing some of this thing for our eyes to turn back to him. So although Israel probably was in Babylon and now had no king, the psalmist freely acknowledges the sovereign rule of God over them. He was still their reigning king. Even though it was not a happy psalm, he at least acknowledges that. So God, God was now their only king and the only king they were looking forward to for deliverance. And that's where we are right now in America, especially with our families. We have no other king to look to right now but to, to our Lord Jesus, our King, uh, for deliverance from what we're in. And it was quite a change of heart for even him to say that, and it would be a quite a change of heart for us as Christians to say that also. Remember when they wanted a king and recorded in 1 Samuel 8, verse 7, right? That the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not, here it is, reign over them that they they didn't want him reigning over them that's the name of this message right he shall reign he must reign he will reign so the greatest thought here is simply this with god over them as their king israel israel will overcome everything and anything that would come against them so the principle remains to this day with Jesus Christ as the king of our lives and over our lives, we can prevail over anybody and anything if we would just believe it. Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors, right? It says, through him that loved us in Romans 8, 37. First uh, John 4, 4, year of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. For I will not trust in my bow, neither shall my sword save me. Right? He wisely realized that having the best weapons were not the answer. 
I mean, uh, we've depleted our uh, oil reserves right now. We have no oil for weapons, military uh, vehicles, if we were to go to war right now. That's gone. Right? So we're in a very vulnerable position right now. But our king <laughs> is still the king. He's still reigning supreme. Rather, his king was his defense. They, they that live by the sword will die by the sword, but whosoever puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. So in God we boast all day long and praise thy name forever. In other words, in God only we trust, therefore he must reign. He must reign and reign over us. We must allow him to reign over us. You know, 1 Samuel 12, 24, Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things he hath done for you. Yeah, I remember this nation was once a great nation, but listen, you're, we need to consider the things he's, that God has done great for us, not only in America, but around the world. So we know Jesus has done great things for as our Lord God and Savior, but have you ever considered how great things he hath done for you personally? And what will do for you as your king? Because he's not a king that doesn't care about his subjects. He's a king who loves his subjects and does everything for them. If we thought about this verse, this verse says that in our fears, all we need to do is just turn to him and serve him in truth as his loyal subject. In other words, bow to him now. Instead of waiting and bowing to him in eternity, which could be eternity hell if you don't have Jesus Christ, but you're still going to bow. And unlike any president or king of this day, we can always trust our king because he's the only reason we are able to stand as a republic in this shaky world of political biases and corruption. It's just because of our great king, right, who is always the king of all kings. So he allows us still to stand upright and boldly and confidently in him, even in the midst of, of this chaos. So our king can allow all that we have to perish because of our foolishness, but he's still going to be our king, and it'll still be the best for you to put your trust in him if he takes everything away. So he has made a pledge to his office as king to put his subjects first, unlike our current administration. So I didn't mean this to be a political message at all, but our king rules and reigns over us. Right? So we listen to our king, and we follow our king, and we can all stand tall because of his pledge to us. Our king is coming for us, our king is going to reign supreme one day. The victory's coming his way. I've read the end of the book. We win, by the way. Amen. So the kingdom, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And that's what's happening right now. So Matthew 25, 34 says, Then shall the king say unto them on the right hand, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. So we have a kingdom that's prepared for us, and obviously most of that is referencing Israel, but listen, it's for the church too. And they shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is the Lord of lords, the King of kings, and they that are with him are called the chosen and faithful. I can't wait today. I'm not much of a horse rider. I, in fact, I tried it one time. The horse bucked me off the back. And I landed on my back and ended up in pain for about three weeks. So one day I'm going to be on a horse that ain't going to throw me. But it's going to throw me. 
And I'm going to be right there behind Jesus coming out of the heavens when he reigns supreme as king. Now when we jump over right back to 1 Corinthians 15, we, we see that verse 25, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. So here's what's happened. Here Paul clearly is referring to the end time, the climax of human history. Christ assures us there will be an end of all evil one day, right, when he reigns as king. And to get to this point, Christ must per first put all evil powers and enemies under his rule of righteousness and love. He must complete the kingdom. But I, I'm uh, sorry to say many Christians do a great job at uh, making that hard for him. They compete against them. So why do we compete against them when we should just let them reign? It's because all of the world offers so much to us. And we think we can keep what it's offered to us. It's amazing to me on how money controls things and how it'll somebody could put hundreds of thousands of dollars away and they could die tomorrow. Where does that all go? It certainly don't go into heaven with them. The world and all the pleasures will mean absolutely nothing then. And he will win the final victory and then present the kingdom to himself. He must reign. Yes, he must reign until he delivers up the kingdom of God completely and totally to himself. So, I want to, that's all by way of introduction. I got 15 minutes to finish this message. In the years, uh, in his years in the monastery, Martin Luther was gripped by the fear of an angry God who could never be pleased with him, and desperately seeking forgiveness from his from this distant angry God, he would confess his sins three times a day, afraid to miss the smallest offense towards God, or that he would be punished. He yeah, moved to the depths of despair. Martin Luther once declared this: He said, "Love God." question mark? He goes, I hated him. Because it was just misery trying to live under a God he thought he was going to be punished under. And Luther understood something about the seriousness of sin. Yes, he did. And the need for forgiveness. But at the same time, his picture of God was distorted because of it. God was not this uh, wrathful, untouchable God who thrilled, you know, thrilled in seeing his subject squirm. That's not our God. God was and still is a loving God, a merciful God, a merciful king who wants to promote you into the kingdom, not punish you in hell. That's who we follow in Jesus Christ. So the day is coming when Jesus Christ himself will put all enemies under his feet. He must reign and he will reign as our eternal king as he does right now because he reigns right now and we must appreciate that. You know, I, I have this... Um, I had uh, Joanne print these up. Uh, I, I did this, and um, I've handed these out when I go a lot of places. And, um, and I, I've actually gone back to some places and seen them posted on the wall. And there's one for every one of you, and they're going to be out on the back table. I didn't want to give them to you now because you'd be reading it and not paying attention. But it says, Jesus Christ, King of Kings, he must reign. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 25. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies at his feet. He shall reign. Exodus 15, 18. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. He now reigns. Psalm 91, 1. 
the Lord reigneth, let the temple tremble, let the people tremble. But the question is at the bottom, and I, this is the reason we hung this in our house for so long, is will I allow him to reign over me? Will I allow him to reign over me? Because it tells me in uh, Luke 19:14, will it be we will not have this man to reign over us? That's what it said in Luke 19:14. Uh, or will it be, I am yours, Jesus. Come reign over me. Because a lot of times he's got to reign in some things. <laughs> if he's going to have all of you, he's got to reign in some things that you want to do and you know you, you, you just can't do if you're going to be underneath his kingship. It just doesn't give him glory. It doesn't, it's not good for you or your health or your spiritual well, well-being. And I, I've always been intrigued with this word must in the Bible. Right? No other word in the Bible has such a precise meaning but taken so half-heartedly. Right? The Son of Man must suffer many things. The Gospel must be published in all nations. New wine must be put in new, into new bottles. He must increase, but I must decrease. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. The Son of Man must be lifted up. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. But the most intriguing must to me of all must is found in John 3, 7. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. It's amazing how that has been misinterpreted. You must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God is what he is saying. There's no other way to see the God or the kingdom or Jesus. Sadly, many have not taken that, uh, that word must very seriously in this verse. And the word's born again. Have you ever noticed how a lot of times you use that word and now has a connotation of some type of cultism? Oh, there is a born again people. Don't let that be afraid. Don't let that fear you into not saying it. I say that's the first thing when I'm talking to somebody, I'm born again, are you? Because when you're born again, things change. The old man dies, a new man comes alive, right? You don't hold on to those old habits and those old things that are not good, right? You start learning new habits. You start doing the right thing because you're born again. So being born again is the only escape out of hell. If you really want to be saved, you have to come to Christ his way. And that means you must be born again. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And your life must change. Uh, not because you're doing anything about it, but because he's done the doing. So if, if your life is not changing, then you're probably not born again. I, I'm, just, I'm just saying. Being born again is the only escape out of hell. The verb hath put under, in verse 27 here, is a, is a once and for all fact. Not only will the enemies of Christ be subjected to Christ, all people, all things will be subjects of Christ. And some subjects will be cast into hell when they don't receive Jesus Christ as their king. Or they, they just didn't believe on him or didn't want to be uh, kneeled down before him, although they'll be forced to. So all men, all beings, all things seen, unseen, will be subject to Christ as king, and all of them will bow down before him, including you. Have you ever thought about that? You are one day going to bow down before your king. 
you probably won't even be able to lift, lift up your head to look at them. You're going to be so ashamed of yourself because that's the holiness. That's what it does to us. And there was given unto him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and language shall serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Daniel 7, 14. Philippians, uh, Philippians 2.10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Listen to me very carefully, everybody. This is my family now. Very carefully. This revival will, will begin when he begins to reign in his people first, over his people first. That's when we'll get revival. It's got to start in the churches. So the only way we will see a genuine 21st century revival is when he rules and reigns totally over our lives. Right? His servants, the ones that have been born again, the Bible says he must reign. Well, he will do so. The question are, are you allowing him to reign over your life now or are you fighting against him? Can he use you to bring revival? Think about it that way. If you're looking at yourself right now, can he use me to bring revival? Well, so this is what brings my three points when we're through. i got ten minutes, so buckle your seatbelts. Number one is, until that day when he comes, he must reign over your heart. That's my first point. He must reign over your hearts. Neither shall they say, lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. So he must have total control of our lives over every part of our soul, in every kingdom, there's only one throne and only one can sit on that throne. Everyone else is subject. The problem today is we want to sit on that throne with Jesus as Christians. He must, here's the subtitle, he must have total residency. He must have total residency in our hearts. He cannot live there and be effective there in a creature that doesn't allow him to reside in every part of your life. Or you're fighting against him. He's got to be allowed into every secret sin closet. He's got to be allowed in to every part of that heart that you don't want him to know. He cannot be effective in your life if he's restricted from any areas of your heart or confined to only one part in any way like those that want to keep one foot in the world and one foot in Christianity. He needs total and complete freedom just to move about the way he wants to move about and do his will in your life. That's, that's residency, full residency. He's the preeminent one in your life. Here's the second thing. He must have total presidency. What he says goes. He must have total rule over our finances. He must have total rule over our properties. He must have total rule over our minds, hearts, and souls. He must, have, he must be allowed total rule over every aspect of our life. Now, the minute you put conditions on that, you have, uh, uh, that you have, uh, have to be met, right, in order for you to participate in his kingdom, he's not ruling or reigning over you. You can't put conditions on him. If he does this, I'll do that. If he doesn't do this, I won't do that. You don't do that with God. He's not only uh, to have complete residency and presidency, there must be also complete compliance. So the Lord shall reign forever and ever. Why wouldn't you want to comply now? 
Psalm 146.10, the Lord shall reign over forever, even the God of Ozion, unto all generations. And that would mean even Generation Z right now, the ones that are going woke and now going broke. And it's causing our country to go broke anyways. So he must reign over our hearts, his people. Second thing is he must reign over our homes. And that's what this whole month was about. He has to reign over our homes. 1 Timothy 5, verse 8 says, But if any provide not for his own, listen to this. If any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith. And it's worse than an infidel. Boy, that's, those are hard words. But he wants you to reign. He wants to reign over your home. That means, Dad and Mom, you can't be dictators and, and mean and, uh, to your families. You can't do that stuff. Because he's reign, he needs to reign. Every closet, every computer, every book, every magazine, every movie, every television, everything in your refrigerator, your secret places where you store things, every area of, of your home needs to be opened up to him. He must rule and reign over them things to be effective. The problem is we want to keep some of those things. Right? We want to hold on to some of those things. And some of those things are simple, unhealthy. They're just things you don't hold on to. Once, you, once you're born again, those things just are gone. I remember my days of alcohol. I remember that. I don't even like saying this from the pulpit, but I remember. But when I got saved, gone. Gone. Just like that. Never to come back. And my whole family is, are, that, um, promote that stuff. Gone. That's what he does. We do not have a right to decide what areas he can rule and reign over. There's a false doctrine out there that states he is, if he's not Lord over all things of your life, he's not Lord at all. Well, that's called Lordship Salvation, and we know that this is not true. Here's why. Because if you're honest with yourself here this morning, there are areas you have not let him be Lord over. But you're still saved. He's still trying to be Lord over them. He's trying to take back control of those things. If the Lord is to be the Lord over all things, the Lord needs your full cooperation. And by the way, that's what brings in the fullness of the Spirit. He has all of you. Or he, you have all of his spirit, but does he have all of you? So when J. Wilbur Chapman was in London, he had an opportunity to talk to uh, General, uh, General Booth, and he was the founder of the Salvation Army, who at, who at the time was past 80 years of age, and Dr. Chapman listened reverently as the old general spoke of the trials and the conflicts and the victories he had experienced. And the evangelist then asked the general if he would disclose the secret for his success. And when he asked that question, right, he hesitated a second, and then Dr. Chapman saw the tears stream down General Booth's eyes. And this is what he said. This is amazing. Booth said this, I will tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I, men with greater opportunities, but from the day I got the poor of London on my heart, he said, with a vision of what Jesus Christ could do with that poor people of London, I made up my mind that he would have all of William Booth there was. 
And if there is anything of power in the Salvation Army today, it's only because God has all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. Do you know know what Chapman said after that? He said he went away from that meeting with General Bruce knowing that the greatness of man's power is the measure of his surrender, not what he can conquer. It's just the measure of surrender. He must reign. And once he does, you can do some pretty powerful and amazing things for him. So he must reign over our hearts, and he must reign over our homes, and we finish with this. He must reign over his house. 1 Peter 4, 17 says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? But he must reign over our church. He must reign over his church. He must reign over all the churches he, uh, he has planted around the world. And we're going to have a church planter coming in here um, the third week. His name is David Wilt. And he's going to give us some insight on what it takes to plant us a church. And I want to tell you something. Be ready because it's not easy. Right, Christine? One of the hardest things in the world to do. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we? If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end, Hebrews 3, 6. So he's got to reign over our hearts, obviously, and over our homes, but he also must reign in every one of his churches. And I'm afraid to say today, I don't believe he is reigning over a lot of them. They've kicked him out. In today's churches, the sanctity of God's house is at stake. It's a travesty, I think, what we're letting into our churches today. Everything but him. Everything but him. Music, that even the musicians who wrote it and perform it call it the devil's music. I just put that on my website. David Bowie says, you'll not convince me otherwise. One of the big rock stars of the past says, I am convinced that it's the devil's music that we write. Bible versions that leave out vital verses and put in evil verses in their place and even call Satan the bright morning star. That's Jesus' name. We treat sanctuaries now like they're entertainment venues. We come in with our drinks and dress like fans do at concerts and ball games. I mean, they're even doing smoke things now that come up from the music, you know, to... Did you... Did you I said this this morning. I want to say it again. I might keep here an extra five minutes, but don't, 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 don't fall asleep, Okay. Did you notice that just in these last two weeks, Congress eliminated a dress code to facilitate one irreverent, inept politician? And I believe this is because we as a church paid that way. And you might say, how do we do that? Well, that's just what we've been doing for years now, taking the reverence out of the sanctuary. Dress whatever way you want to do. I I watch church signs that say, you know, come, be real. Come and be real at our church. No, I'd rather go to a church that's a real church, not come and be real in it. A real New Testament church like this one, that's where I want to be at. But listen, it's just the result of what we've done in our churches. Now you can't argue with them for doing that 
Because they'd say, well, you do it in your churches. And you let people come in whatever way they want to come in, and you're, they're, they don't care about the sanctuary and any, everything. like. Now, now you can't argue with them. Because if you do, you're a hypocrite. Not this church. But there's a lot of churches now, it don't look anything like a sanctuary. It doesn't look anything like a, the reverential praise and, and supreme worship of a holy God. Not, not at all when you go in. Once we let the devil in, he never goes back. It never goes back, by the way. It always goes deeper into irreverence. Now think about it. What was the harm of allowing a woman the pastor? Right? I've had people say, that, well, what's the harm? You, know, you can't get men the pastor. Why don't you just let women the pastor? Well, here, think about it. Right? Now, they're promo- now, now, uh, now, because we let that in the door, uh, and by the way, the, it's not saying that it devalues a woman anyway. It's just God said it needs to be a man. But now we're now we have gay pastors. What's next? Transvestite pastors? Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, they got transvestite pastors out there. What's next? Pedophile pastors? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know what's coming down the road. Sin always takes you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. What it does. So before, I love this Revelation 3:20. I'm done, by the way. I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him, and he with me. Do you know what he's saying here? He's saying that in the end days, Jesus will be standing on the outside of many of his church doors, knocking, asking them to let him in. Just kick them out. And that's why we. That's why we get saved. By the way. We kicked him out with our sin, and he's knocking on our hearts and saying, let me in, because I'm your only hope. I'm your only king. You have no way out of here without me. So if we're going to see true heaven-sent revival, it must include keeping him in his church and keeping his church holy, honorable before God. Amen? Ephesians 20, in Ephesians uh, Uh, 2-7, I think it is, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. We should want every genuine New Testament church to be surrendered to Christ. That's what we should want. So separated from the world, so sanctified with truth, so dedicated to holiness, so consumed with Holy Spirit's presence, that the hearts of those coming against it would burn with conviction and then get saved, right? And then convert to Christ. They should feel the presence of God when they walk in here. Not pervert our Christ. And then those who join it will be consumed with him and his passion and purpose to win the loss to the kingdom. I hope that's your passion. That should be your passion. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to, the, uh, to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I I close with this. His kingdom can be present here in the church, and it is in this church, thank God. But the present kingdom refers to God's rule and reign in your hearts and lives forever. And that could happen right here this morning, too, if you're not born again. You could be born again. The present kingdom is offered to the world, to all men, women, and children everywhere, because once you receive Christ as your Savior, you receive the kingdom. It's offered in the person of Jesus Christ. So the present kingdom 
just like Christ must be received as a little child. You know, it says in Mark 10, 14 through 15, when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased, said unto them, suffer the little children to come unto me, forbid them not. Do you remember the ending? For such, for of such is the kingdom of God. Wow, how, what a way to end this, right? The present kingdom is experienced only by a new birth that comes with Jesus Christ by putting your faith in him. So the kingdom must be received now while you can. And that's the way I'll close this. Verily, verily, I say unto you, uh, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter in. If you have not received the kingdom of God, today is the day to do it. Because things are winding down very, very fast. The present kingdom of a life-changing experience is right now. You can have it. He, he'll reign over, he reigns over everything and over everywhere, over all time. But does he reign over you? Right? Are you a subject of his? Because one day you will be bowing before him. So what, ha what is it that he has not had control over in your life that you need to let him have control over? Maybe it's time to put him back on the throne. Amen? Maybe it's time to just get off the throne of your heart, stop being about you, and allow him to take over, and start being about others. Right? Start being about Jesus Christ and what you can do for him. Thou art my king. Right? And you can say that personally yourself. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads in prayer. I don't know how God is speaking to you today, but this is how I ended this whole family month, is he must reign. He's just got to reign over our hearts. He's got to reign over our homes, and he's got to reign over his house, and we can't fight against him. We've got to allow him to do that and be submissive subjects that just trust and obey. If there's anyone in here today that's not saved, you're just one breath away from hell. But you can take the breath of life today by receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. And then you're just one breath away from heaven. One breath away from the kingdom of God. With heads bowed and eyes closed, is there anyone in here that's not sure they're saved? I mean, I'm, most of the time, everybody comes in here, I realize at least they think they are, but is there anyone after this message would say, you know, I want to make sure that I'm saved. I don't want to jeopardize this thing at all by the raised hand anybody at all and those watching of course the same way right he must reign he's going to reign he's reigning now but does he reign over your heart or are you fighting against him trust on jesus christ right now settle this issue with him and lastly is this again what has he not had control over in your life that he's been trying to get control over, but you've been fighting him. Maybe today at this altar call, it'd be time to turn that over to him and say, your will be done, Lord. Take this away from me. Heal me. Give me hope. Allow me to serve you with all my heart, soul, and mind and not have this stuff just keep occupying my mind and heart and soul.
I don't know what it is. And if the Lord's speaking to you, you have to deal with it yourself. And a good way to deal with that is just to get to the altar. Kneel down and lay it there and then walk away and leave it there. And let him heal it. Let him take it. Let him give you victory over it. We hope that message was an encouragement to you. To stay up to date with us, please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC Schenectady. If you would like more information on how heaven can be your home, please visit lighthousebaptist.org slash the gospel.